Welcome to the Campus Outreach Podcast, where we want to equip you to make your college years count for eternity. I'm your host, Tyler Olson, also known as T-Roll, and I'm joined today by my good friend, Ben Weber. Ben, how are we doing today? Doing well, man. It's been a great start. Excited to talk about some good deep topics today. All right. Amen. We're going to we're going to dive right in. So this is week 5 of our podcast, officially the 5th episode, and in the last 4 weeks we've covered topics mostly focused on scripture, so how to study the Bible, how to apply it to our lives, and also how to grow in our walk with God and make an impact. Uh, despite being in the middle of a pandemic. Well, today, our topic is a little different. We're actually going to be talking about something much more culturally relevant, much more timely, and something that is definitely on the forefront of a lot of conversations going on in our world today. We're going to be talking about race and racism. Now, the first thing I want to say is this podcast is not specifically designed to talk about race and racial issues. Instead, or actually, we're trying to make a podcast that can be a resource for college students to grow in their walk with God. However, this is such an important topic, and we have to address this. So what we want to do is this week, we're going to talk about how the Bible opposes racism, how it really rejects racism. So we're going to kind of give some historical context um, and talk about how even in the Bible, when there was racism, how it actually, the message of Christianity, the the message of Jesus is anti-racism. We're going to give you some historical context today, and then next week, we're going to get a lot more practical. So if we do the historical context now, next week, what we want to do is just dive deeper into how can we actually see change, both in our own hearts, but also in the lives of our loved ones, and how do we actually fight the sin of racism in our world today, okay? So that's kind of where we're going this week, where we're going next week. We want to give you kind of a snapshot of what we're going to be diving into today and then also next week. So speaking of this week and speaking of our topic today of how the Bible opposes racism, what we're going to do is we're actually going to similarly, you know, sometimes you see uh, the Bible broken down into four main chapters, you know, the story of Jesus into four main chapters. You have creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We're going to do that today. And as we break down the story of the Bible in those four chapters, we're going to talk about how in each one of those chapters, how the Bible rejects racism. So, uh, yeah. I'm kind of long-winded here, but Ben, I'm really excited to uh, have this conversation with you, man. Is there anything you want to say before we uh, before we jump in? For sure. No, th- this will be good. And here's what we're going to see from start to finish, beginning to end. The Bible explicitly opposes racism. And so we're going to take it, the angle, you already said it, but of the good news, which is the story of the gospel. It's got four chapters, and each of the four chapters have something explicitly to say about racism. Amen. Well, let's get into it, man. So chapter number one, we're going to talk about creation. So God creates everything literally out of nothing. Okay. Um, Let's talk about creation, Ben. That's right. So this is page one of your Bible, Genesis one, chapter one, chapter two. And our first impression of God here is that he's a creator. So you already said it. He creates the universe out of nothing. And then each and every day he adds to the universe. So he creates the sky and he places the sun in the middle. He creates the ocean. He fills it with fish. He creates the land and it is occupied with animals. And God apparently saves his best work for last because on the final day of creation, uh, he makes humanity. He makes Adam and Eve. 
And prior to that, he created animals according to their kind. When God makes Adam and Eve, he makes them in his very own image. And one of the things that God says after every day of creation, he says, it is good. And this is really a blessing, if you will. Um, The word in the original language is shalom, and shalom means peace. Now, very often when we think about peace, we think about the absence of conflict, uh, the lack of war, the lack of hate, the absence of violence. But shalom means something more than that. It's the presence, not the absence, but the presence of justice, equity, peace. It's a state of wholeness because in the Garden of Eden, in a state of shalom, Adam and Eve enjoyed a perfect relationship with God, with each other, and with all of creation. This is why actually Dr. Martin Luther King, when he refers back to Genesis and creation, he would say the universe is on the side of justice because God created it in a state of shalom. And so one of the things that's really interesting, although all of creation is made according to its own kind, Adam and Eve are made in the very image of God. And God gives them a responsibility. He says, I want you to exercise dominion over every, every living thing. And God doesn't just give Adam and Eve the blessing of them being good. He says, you are very, very good. And so here's what's interesting. Chapter 1 of the good news, the story of the gospel, we see God making one race, and that race is the human race. Uh, and so in one sense, we, we all have common ancestors, and those are Adam and Eve. And so we see, we see there's a lot of profound implications that come from this idea of the image of God. The first is this, is we see that all people, right, regardless of the color of their skin, they are designed with dignity, um, that they, they have inherent worth, they have inherent value because we're all image bearers of God. Right. Okay. And, and this is actually, you know, for a lot of Americans, we're like, no duh, that's simple, that's basic, that's obvious. But it hasn't always been that way in human history. In fact, if you go back uh, to maybe some high school classes you took where you read some Greek philosophers, some poets, some thinkers in antiquity, actually the prevailing mindset in the Greek world is that some people— uh, were designated by the gods to be rulers and other people slaves. In fact, Aristotle actually said from the hour of their birth, some are marked out for slavery and others for rule. Wow. So, so even with, with, with the protest, uh, with the unrest, there, there's this assumption that all people have dignity, have value. And that, actually, that, that teaching, that understanding actually comes straight from the pages of Scripture. Okay? Hmm. And the next thing I would say is this, if we're made in God's image, uh, part of our responsibility is to reflect God. And all throughout Scripture, God is described as someone who is a God, as someone who is a God of justice and a God of righteousness. I think about just one verse, I could give you many, but Psalm 145 describes God as, as righteous in all his ways, in all his works. Okay, righteous and justice in all his ways. So if I'm made in God's image, and God is a God of justice and righteousness, therefore, if I'm going to reflect him to the world, I have to demonstrate okay, characters, actions, attitudes of justice and righteousness. So that's what we see just in chapter 1 of God's Word, is that God is the source, but also the measure of all justice, and he has given us a responsibility as his image bearers to be about the business of justice as well. Wow. So it's it's interesting because we were created, in a sense, to be in this perfect relationship with God. We were created to have perfect harmony, 
both with each other and with God. But it's not always like that, and that is pretty much thanks to the fall. And what we're talking about here is when sin entered into the world— and when human beings fell from glory. So, Ben, let's talk about the fall for a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the, the goodness and perfection of creation in the Garden of Eden, it doesn't last long. In fact, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and then immediately in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world. So this is the longest chapter in, in the story of the gospel. And believe it or not, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to you. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to all of our listeners when sin entered the world, because it fractured relationships. All of a sudden, the shalom that we described in creation uh, was destroyed. It was shattered. So it fractured our relationship with God, with each other, but also with all of creation. And so, in a sense, all of the isms that we are dealing with in our society today, there are consequences, results of the fall. So it could be sexism, nationalism, classism, racism, do you understand all yep, these isms? Yep. Or, or, or when I take my gender, my nationality, my, my social standing, or my race, and I use them to elevate myself and push down other people, okay? So sin, because of the fall, it affects everyone, but also everything. And so what we experience today, what we see in the headlines, in our Twitter feed, on the news, government, government corruption, brutal killings, misunderstandings, wars, and unrest that is based on race and ethnicity. I mean, we we would all say things are not as they should be, and this is a result of the fall. And and, and the thing is, and here's where we got to get real with ourselves, there's not only sin out there in the world, but there's also sin in here in our very own hearts. Mm. And so one of the things we got to keep in mind is that racism, okay, is not unique to the United States, okay? It's not even unique to the South, uh, this is a, a, a sin, all right, that has plagued, uh, in a sense, all of humanity, all, all human civilizations, all societies. It existed even in Jesus' day. Jesus was born ethnically. He was a Jew, and Jews had major beef with Samaritans. In fact, mm-hmm. if they were walking down a path, a good Jewish person would not even allow his shadow to touch the shadow of a Samaritan. Um, Jews were constantly washing their hands, and it had nothing to do with covid Okay, they didn't have hand sanitizers, but anytime they would bump into a Gentile or a Jew, essentially anyone who was a non-Jew, they felt that they were unclean. So even in Jesus's day, we see division, we see separation uh, between ethnicities, and it all stems from the fall. Absolutely. And there, there's, there's so much to go into here, and we're going to keep this story moving um, just for the sake of time as we kind of discuss uh, how the Bible really opposes racism. Um, but there's just so much—I think what's crazy to me is just racism at its very core is thinking your culture, your people, better is better than someone else's. And it's, it's so heartbreaking to see. Um, but like you said, it's, it's even in Scripture, man. It's been around for a long time. So— uh, let's keep it moving here. There is bad news, obviously, with sin entering in the world and causing division amongst people and amongst us, but between us and God. But also, man, there's some good news. When Jesus comes on the scene, he comes to restore things. He comes to bring redemption. So let's talk about redemption. There you go. Yeah, and redemption really centers on Jesus. So you knew it was only a matter of time before we talked about Jesus. <laughs> and just like any good story, there's bad news and there's good news. So the bad news is the fall. 
And sin has fractured, brought division and separation between us and God, but us, also us and each other. But we see in Jesus, we can experience redemption, okay? We're, we're brought back together. In fact, one of the things that the New Testament mentions that in Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, male nor female, because we are one in Christ Jesus. And so here's what's interesting. The Bible does, is not attempting in this verse, to remove our culture, okay, to set aside our class, our gender. In a sense, what this verse is saying is that these things no longer define us if we're followers of Jesus because we receive a new identity, a, 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 an identity that is primarily um, contingent on our relationship with Jesus. And so what, th- what this would suggest is that um, I have more in common with a minority woman okay, who is a follower of Jesus, then someone who is in my very own family, okay, shares blood, DNA, the same last name, but doesn't know Jesus, because Jesus unites us uh, in, a, in a brand new way. There's another passage in Ephesians 2, where Paul is explaining what Christ accomplished when he died on the cross, and I think if you ask most people in the South, what did Jesus do when he died on the cross, they would probably give you a response like this, Uh, That Jesus saved me from something, right? From my sin, from punishment. Uh, But Jesus did more than that. It's not less than that, it's actually more than that. Because in Ephesians 2, Paul actually notes that Jesus destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. Now, the dividing of wall of hostility was actually a real, literal wall. And it actually segregated worship between Jews and Gentiles at the temple. And so what this verse is saying is that one of the things that Christ accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection, is that he removed the barrier between different ethnicities. And this word destroy, it means to annihilate or reduce to a rubble. And so here's what we got to remember, that because of the gospel and the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, we're not just saved from sin and from punishment, but we're saved into something. Okay, We're saved into a new family. So the gospel is not just the good news that we get to avoid hell. It's really the good news that shalom is being restored, right? This harmony is being restored. And now we can have a right relationship not only with God, but also with all of humanity. If I would to put it another way, I would say the blood of one man, that's Jesus Christ, creates one new man. That's the body of Christ. And so anytime there's racial prejudice, uh, we've got to understand that it is a sinful attempt to rebuild what Jesus has already broken down, Okay. So one of the major consequences, effects of Christ and his sacrifice, you can think about it this way, is Jesus killed racial hostility by being killed on the cross. That's good, man. I think, I think it's just crazy, um, you know, in one sense, when, when you really think about what Christ accomplished on the cross, you, you almost wonder how can anyone still, like how can a Christian still be racist? Right, because it's just when you see what he has done for for you, how could you then hate or think you are better than anyone else? But we still see racism is very—it's all across culture, right? And, no doubt, and, and so much of it stems, right? Like you said, T. Roll from from our uh, we, very often we're forgetful and we forget right. the gospel. And what 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 one of my pastoral brothers says this on a regular basis is that we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Because the cross says, regardless of your race or ethnicity, we're all sinners. Yeah. Okay? And we deserve to be separated from God. But because of Jesus, 
okay? Once again, regardless of your, the color of your skin, your racial background, we are now brothers and sisters, part of the same family. We are one in Jesus Christ. That's right. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. That's right. So in the meantime, while we are living in this, new, in this world where uh, Christ has come, he's died on the cross for us, we are living in, the, in this age where we are waiting for the final coming of Christ, right? We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We're waiting for true restoration where there's no more sin, there's no more hate or racism. Let's talk about restoration. Let's talk about this last chapter, Ben. Yeah, this last chapter, unlike the previous story, hasn't happened yet. And so if you're keeping track in your Bible, now we're at the very end. We started in Genesis, now we're in Revelations, and we're actually in the final two chapters of the entire book of the Bible, Revelations 21 and 22. So there you go. We have actually covered the entire— That's the fastest I've ever done it. That's it. You just went through the whole Bible. And what what the book of Revelations actually describes is Christ and his second coming, when Mm -hmm. he returns and brings the new heavens, new earth with him, and he brings a full, a total restoration with him. So I'm just going to mention one verse, and this verse is in Revelations 5.9. Go back and read it if you'd like. But it's a reference to Jesus, and it says, Jesus, you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So this is a snapshot. It's a picture of the new heavens, new earth, the eternal kingdom that, that Christ himself will establish on earth. And I want, I want just to point out two things from this verse in Revelations. Heaven will be a place of perfect diversity, but also perfect unity. So who will be in heaven? Well, according to Revelations 5, 9, it says every, not most, not many, not even an overwhelming majority or 99%. It says every tribe, language, people, and nation. That means in heaven, every language, every dialect, every skin tone, every culture will be represented. Hmm. And this is important to consider because very often, uh, especially uh, in the U.S., Christianity is often stereotyped. It is often uh, mischaracterized. And, and very often people stereotype Christians as outdated, antiquated, regressive, old, stodgy, white men sure, sure. who watch Fox News. And, and the point I'm trying to make is this. If you are serious about reading the Bible, but also uh, you look at the numbers— hmm. uh, this is actually a mischaracterization. It couldn't be farther from the truth. Because here's what we see in Scripture, is that heaven will be a place of perfect diversity. Uh, I actually heard one pastor put it this way, that heaven will be a white supremacist hell. Mm. Okay, Heaven will be hell for a white supremacist. and It could be a nationalist, it could be a racist, um, anything along those lines. But the point is this, it will be a place where every ethnicity will be represented. But on top of that, we tend to think, right, when we think about the typical Christian, we tend to envision someone who is white and middle class. But if you, that, that's actually a narrow perspective. Because if you look at the entire globe, did yeah. you know this? Um, a, the, the average typical Christian would actually be a South American or African woman. And actually the parts of the world where the gospel is growing, flourishing, multiplying the most, it's not the U.S., it's not Europe, it's actually the global south. Right. And so one of the things that's really interesting, if you compare Christianity with other major world religions and worldviews, Islam, Buddhism, Judaism, did you know this? That roughly 20% of the global church is in the U.S., in South America, Europe, Africa, and Asia. The point I'm trying to make is this, is that statistically, 
Christianity has no dominant culture. And I would actually make the case it is the most diverse movement on earth. Okay? Mm. So, so heaven will be a place of perfect diversity. Even now, from a, on a global scale, we're experiencing that diversity. And the reason is, and it makes sense, because Jesus ransomed people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. The word ransom, Amen. we tend to think about criminals, you know, kidnapping. But the word ransom literally means to purchase or exchange your life. And, and what, a lot, what a lot of cultural experts would say is that on, on, in, on, in our planet, there are 11,000 distinct people groups, people that share a common language and common culture. And what Revelations 5.9 is suggesting is that what Jesus comp- accomplished on the cross is he died for people, all right, men and women, and all 11,000 people groups. And so not only will there be diversity in the new heavens, but there will also be unity. Okay, because these people are gathered around the throne, and we see their race, their race is not removed, their race is redeemed. And so finally, the, the shalom, the peace, the righteousness, the justice mm-hmm. that Adam and Eve enjoyed for two chapters in Genesis 1 and 2 will fully be restored. But it will also be developed, it will be amplified. And so one day when Christ returns, we will experience the new heavens, new earth, where we will be perfectly in the presence of God but also we'll have perfect relationships with all peoples. Amen. Really long for that. And I think, I think what's, what's amazing, too, is in a world where it's so easy to turn on my phone and go on Twitter or Instagram and know what's going on across, for example, the country, which has pretty much been this entire pandemic experience, right? You can go on no social doubt. media. You could see what's happening in Oregon. You could see what's happening in New York. You could see what's happening all over the place. We, we very much have a geographical bias when we are thinking of our own issues and problems like within our culture, within our country. But the reality is, like you said, man, like Christianity isn't, unfortunately, it it tends to be defined by just like Southern culture in a sense, but it really goes far beyond like the white middle class. Like you said, man, I love that you made that point. I mean, the, the church is literally expanding in other parts of the world. But if we, if we don't do our due diligence to really understand things like that, It'll, it'll affect the way we view um, what, like, the, the main hub, quote-unquote, of Christianity is. But there isn't one. There's not, like, a, you know, this is where Christianity comes from, you know? So I, I think that's a great point that you made, man. I think that's an important distinction, too, as we think about the entire world. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation. That's it. That's it. Yeah, no doubt. Every other world religion, they take pilgrimages to holy cities, holy sites, Aside from, going to, aside from going to Chick-fil-A, there's no holy p- pilgrimage with no Christianity, doubt. Yeah, that right? Christian chicken, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But, uh, yeah, it is important. Sometimes we tend to be very narrow-minded. Yeah. And so the whole goal of today, we wanted to situate ourselves in the story, where we are in the story of redemption uh, that started in eternity past and will we'll go into eternity future. But also, where are we in the globe? Uh, and that God is doing an incredible work, and sometimes we got to look up and see what he's up to. Amen. Well, this has been a great conversation, Ben. We're going to go ahead and uh, shut it down here. Uh, I'm really glad we got to talk about just, in a sense, the history of racism in the Bible and how the Bible opposes racism. Uh, next week, come on back because we're going to take this and we're going to make we're going to take this conversation. We're going to go way more practical, and we're actually going to talk about how we as Christians can take deliberate action to fight this sin 
and in, even in our own hearts to understand how we uh, can can battle against this sin, even in our own hearts and in our culture today. So I'm really excited for that conversation. Be sure to come back and uh, listen to that. Uh, also, please subscribe to the podcast and uh, whether you listen to us on Apple or Spotify or Google or Amazon, wherever you listen, please subscribe. Please come back. For my good friend Ben, this is T-Roll saying thank you for listening. We will see you next time on the Campus Outreach Podcast.